This week on Moms Moving On. At a certain point, I kind of got stuck in what I, I call it now a grief plateau. I didn't have a term for it then, but it was when I was past that acute grief and I was back to functioning and everybody was telling me how strong I was, you know, and from the outside, I'm sure that I looked strong, right? Because I was doing the things. I was back to work. I was going through the motions, but it felt very hollow and very robotic. And I had this little voice in the back of my head that was like, I think this is the best it's going to get. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm excited to have you here with me today. We are going to be talking about the grieving process of divorce. God, that grief can be heavy, but we have none other than Krista St. Germain on with us. She is a life coach and she helps moms go on after they've lost a spouse due to death, but she's also been divorced. Krista, thank you so much for being here. Totally my pleasure. Nobody ever wants to talk about grief. So I'm, I'm always excited. I mean, we kind of have to, to because I, Thank you know, you. those questions, and I'm sure you get them all the time. Like, how long am I going to be grieving this marriage? And I feel like yeah. there is no one size fits all for that, as you know. No, definitely well, not. And I you... think that's part of the problem, right? Is that we don't talk about it enough. So I'm glad we're going to talk about it. I'm glad we are going to talk about it. And, and if you want to just share some of your story to help our listeners understand what led you to this path of helping women work past their grief. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I was married and then divorced. Two kids from that marriage, long drawn out process of getting divorced and not my most favorite life experience. And then my second husband was kind of my redemption story. He was like proof to me that amazing relationships are possible and, you know, treated me like a princess. And so I was really on a very big high in my life. I was 40 when he died and we had come back from a trip and I had a flat tire and stubborn guy that he was, right? He's like, I'll just change the tire. We don't need to call AAA. And so he's trying to get access to the tire where it pulled over on the side of the interstate and a driver that we later found out had alcohol and meth in his system. Fully, you know, sun is out, hazard lights are on, but he didn't see us. And he crashed right into the back of Hugo's Durango and trapped him in between his car and my car. And within, you know, less than 24 hours, I went from being at an all-time high in my life to feeling like the rug had just completely gotten ripped out from under me. And so this work was never really work I planned on doing, right? right? It it was born of my own (laughs) trials. And when I was looking for resources in those early days, I really struggled to find them. And I was 40. So I, I didn't really know any widows. Like I didn't know anybody who could relate to what I was going through. I had a wonderful therapist and she was doing the best she could and love her very much. And that was very helpful to me. But at a certain point, I kind of got stuck in what I, I call it now a grief plateau. I didn't have a term for it then, but it was when I was past that acute grief and I was back to functioning And everybody was telling me how strong I was, you know, and from the outside, I'm sure that I looked strong, right? Because I was doing the things. I was back to work. I was going through the motions, but it felt very hollow and very robotic. And I had this little voice in the back of my head that was like, I think this is the best it's going to get. Like, I think your best days are behind you. Mm -hmm. And 
I didn't want to accept that, but I also didn't know how to not accept that. Right. Right. And that's where I find a lot of people get stuck is that plateau in the middle. And then I started learning about coaching and coaching tools. And I started learning about post-traumatic growth. And, and what I realized is I didn't have to stay in that place, right? Mm -hmm. I could actually use what had happened to me and create the next chapter that was even more of what I wanted, right? I didn't have to just like bounce back. I could actually bounce forward. And so fast forward, figured it out for myself and then decided everybody needs this, right? And so that's what I've been doing. Everybody does need this because whether you have experienced an unfortunate loss like you did, or you are going through a divorce after being married to somebody for many years, and it kind of feels like a death in its own right and to some people, that grieving is so necessary. But I feel like if we had somebody holding our hands through it to say, okay, yes, grieve now. Okay, yeah. yes, today we need to get you out of bed. Like, how does how does it all work? Yeah, or even if we just had some accurate information about grief, right? I found myself only having known about the five stages of grief. That was the only grief theory I knew about, right? And I think that's what most people have heard about. And so naturally, because that's the only thing we know and because nobody really talks about it, we're kind of set up to fail straight out of the gate, right? Because the five stages of grief was never intended to be linear, right? It was actually a study of hospice well, patients. It wasn't even about what happens when you experience grief. I'm happy grief. you're saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The stages happen all out of order for everybody and everyone in a different order. And then everyone's like, aren't I supposed to feel angry first and then sad? Right. And I'm like, no, you're not supposed yeah, to do I anything. Yeah. Am I feeling enough and anger? Is this too much anger? Like, yeah. yeah. We try to measure ourselves against this, you know, idea that was an amazing idea in its time because it started some very valuable conversations right? But, but it's not the end all be all of grief. And it doesn't really represent most people's experience. And also, I think just by the very nature of the, the, the word stages, it implies that grief has an end. Right. Wow. Which it yeah. doesn't. Right. Oh. Right. So if we're, if we're thinking, well, I've got to go through these stages, something must be wrong with me. You know, if I'm not going through the stages and, or I don't get to an end where I'm somehow out of grief, then there's something wrong with me. And then we just create suffering. Right. Right. Well, I know you work with women from all over the place dealing with all different things, but what are some commonalities about the grief process that you see repeating in everybody that you work with? Mm. So I think what might be useful is to think about how we create suffering out of pain. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I know it's kind of cliche, but that's saying that, you know, like pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So many people have said it in different ways, but I think that, that that's very true, but because we're taught to believe that feelings are problems, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of taught that we're supposed to be happy all the time. There's something wrong with us. If we're not, we're taught that we're supposed to feel our feelings alone, right? We're not supposed to burden other people with our emotions. We have all these rules around, emotions and what they should be like and 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 really that we shouldn't have any of them that are negative because happiness is the goal which I am totally right. not on board with at all right I think the goal is a rich human experience which includes all of the emotions we would not have context for joy if we did not have despair it's all right. valuable right right so we take this clean pain experience or this potential of a clean pain experience just the pain in and of itself and then we dirty it all up 
accidentally, of course, we don't know we're doing this to ourselves, but we dirty it all up by judging it, by judging ourselves for having it, by resisting it, right? By not treating it as something that is a natural part of the human experience that if we just open up to it, will flow through us and is supposed to. And so we it, we end up kind of turning up the volume, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm, if I'm dreading loneliness, right? Chances are that my last experience of loneliness was part loneliness, right? Part clean pain, but it was a whole lot of, I shouldn't be feeling this way. There's something wrong with me. I don't want to be feeling this way. It shouldn't be lasting this long. Something's wrong with me, right? There's a whole bunch of judgment and resistance. I don't want to feel it. Me trying to actively get away from it. So a huge part of the intensity or the volume of that experience was actually my my resistance and my judgment. Right. Right. Well, but it's also fear too, because nobody totally. nobody really understands loneliness yeah. without having experienced it. And if you've experienced it, you're scared of it because you know it's an unpleasant emotion. Well, and what I would argue is that what you're scared of is the resistance and judgment. And it's not your fault that you're scared of it because nobody's ever taught you how to experience it in a clean way. And once you experience in a clean way, right, it's just the pain by itself or just the loneliness by itself, what you realize is that it's really just a vibration in your body caused by a thought in your mind. It's not as big of a deal as we tend to make it, but we nobody taught us how to feel our feelings. So, so we end up not actually feeling them. We're resisting them. We're reacting to them. We're trying to make them go away, mm. right? We're shoving them down. We're covering them up. But when we actually experience it, which is one of the first things I, I love to teach people in my coaching program, right? Widows, because nobody comes to me knowing this, we can totally change our relationship with feelings and we can get good at feeling them. And then they're not something we have to be so worried about because really everything you want on the other side of divorce or grief requires you to feel negative emotion, right? Yeah, absolutely. So So tell us about your journey through grief. What did it look like for you? How did it come up? How did you balance it with young kids at home? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, In the beginning, I barely remember. (laughs) I think I was kind of, I know I was functioning very well, oddly, but it felt really numb and just, again, kind of robotic. Hugo and I had had a trip planned to go to Mexico with our kids. We had recently bought a timeshare there earlier that summer. And so we had already planned a trip about two weeks after he died. And so I got us on that trip. I don't remember much of it. Right. I I got my dad to go with us and we all went. Um, Hugo's son and my two. I handled the paperwork, but I don't really remember handling much of it. I got out of bed, but, you know, it's just all kind of a blur. And then I did a lot of talking and a lot of journaling, right? Talking to my therapist, journaling in a notebook to just get myself to a place where I actually could recognize that it wasn't a dream. Right. Because yeah. the brain, the brain has to go through, which I didn't realize at the time, but the brain has to go through a process of acquiring new data so that it can make new predictions. Right. Because it's used to, OK, the garage door opens and uh, that's him. Uh, right. Or something yeah. happens and it's used to, OK, you pick up the phone and you text him. Right. Or you roll over in bed and he's there. That That's happened so many times that that's what the brain expects. And you have to right. go through a process where the brain kind of unlearns and relearns what to expect. So everything just feels weird. They're like, no, I'm pretty sure he's on a business trip. Right. right? So so that happened. Widow fog, um, you know, grievous fog. I call it widow fog, but I think grievous fog is, is, is a fairly a appropriate term? term. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because basically everything's out of whack, right? Your hormones are out of whack. You're not sleeping as well. Like your whole body is, is, you know, completely out of, out of whack. And so you, you can sometimes lose your ability to process information with the higher part of your brain, right? It already has such a limited bandwidth anyway, that when we tax it with all the other things that are going on, it's almost like it feels like there's cotton candy in your brain. Right. Like you just can't remember stuff. You can't yeah. process stuff. I would yeah, read so frustrated because reading was always how I would kind of empower myself. Right. I would go to the experts and read. And I wanted to do that with grief, but I couldn't because I would read and nothing would stick. It was like reading yeah. the same paragraph over and over and over. Yeah. Um, so I went through that. And then, but I did, I, I was lucky. I think I had a very supportive family in terms of my parents and they were great about helping me, you know, helping take my children for time so that I could have time by myself. I think innately, I kind of knew too, that you don't do your kids any service if you hide how you feel from them. Amen. And yeah, so, and I had already known how to tap. Tapping has been one of my go-to tools for a decade or more. And so I did a lot of tapping with myself. I did a lot of tapping with my kids and a lot of just allowing us to all feel how we felt. Um, so I think those things were pretty good, you know, survival strategies. I imagine your kids had a close relationship with Hugo. It was interesting. My daughter was older. She was 12. She had the closer relationship with him. Well, they were impacted in different ways. What I noticed about her was even though she spent less time with him, she felt the impact of what she lost in the future. Got it. Right. She she knew that, you know, she was expecting he was going to teach her French, right? French was his first language. He was going to teach her how to, to water ski and how to snow ski. And she could see he was going to help her with calculus when she needed it. And and that was really interesting to watch her lose that versus my son, who was nine. Not that this even matters because I don't want to make any assumptions on age of children and what they go through. But my son really kind of lost the he he realized people could die. He realized he could lose people. Mm-hmm. It was less about the loss of Hugo and more about the realization maybe people I love can die because it was the right. first person I, that he loved yeah. who died. Yeah. Right. And so it was mommy. I want to, you know, I remember one time mommy, I just want to, if you die, I just want to die five seconds before you do. So I don't ever have to be without you. Wow. Right. Like that, that was chills. his journey. Yeah. Wow. And he spent more time with Hugo in terms of you know, like playing with him and, you know, hanging out with him, mm-hmm. but it was actually less about that relationship and more about the overall idea that people we care about die. Wow, Krista, this is, you know, I'm sorry for you and your family, but I think the fact that you are so well-versed in being a good communicator and letting people express their feelings obviously benefits your children so much. It's here. Oh my God, I can't believe it. My book is officially out in the world. Have you ordered it yet? It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and comes out the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. So order it now. What are you waiting for?
Class is in session and it is time for you to master your divorce. I am Michelle Dempsey-Maltak, the creator of Moving On School, and I want to welcome you to Moving On 101, the one and only class you'll need in order to master the concepts of getting divorced and co-parenting your children so that you can truly move on. In this eight-week program, we'll meet week by week to help you move past each phase and first of the divorce and co-parenting process so that you can move on in an empowered way while making the best decisions for your children. Visit www.momsmovingon.com to apply for our next semester of Moving On School coming in January. How do you manage the grief? Like how much is too much? Is How do you know if it's grief or it's depression or is it all kind of like muddled together? How can you tell? Yeah, there can be a lot of overlap. I think if you're doubting whether it's grief or depression, then you probably want to get an opinion that is outside of your own brain. Like someone who's mm. qualified to diagnose clinical depression would be of value to you. But one of the things you said is like, how do I know if it's too much grief? I think that's actually one of the things that holds us back is the idea that there is too much. And again, that's born from us not being taught how to allow emotion to pass. And so it's very common, I think, for people to be scared of of allowing a feeling because they worry that if they really truly allow it, that they're going to fall into a hole and never yeah. come out. Right. Yeah. That's not depression. Allowing a feeling is not depression. They're, they're different. Right. We, but we have to be willing to allow it. And I think we can start with some of the emotions that scare us the least, right. And practice and learn the skill um, and have, you know, develop other tools in our tool belt. That's why you know, I keep, I teach a couple of different processes, but I mean, tapping to me is, is always. Can you explain more about tapping? Tapping? Sure. Yeah. Tapping is some people call it emotional acupressure. So essentially what you're doing is you are tapping on energy meridians or acupressure points in your body. And while you're doing that, you're sending the signal to your amygdala, right? Your fight, flight or freeze part of your brain that you're, you're safe. And so it's, very easy to do. It's, you can YouTube it and find a million resources for it. Um, mm -hmm. There's an app called the Tapping Solution that I think is particularly powerful. I don't have any affiliation with them. I just like them. But basically, you're just tapping on these parts of your body and you would set it up with a, a setup statement. You always start on the side of your hand and you acknowledge the truth. So like, even though I feel so sad that this happened, right? It's okay for me to love and accept myself. So you state the truth and then you, you have a grounding statement, something that feels true to you. So I deeply and completely love and accept myself, or I acknowledge the way that I feel, or this is the truth of how I feel, or right here and right now I'm safe. You know, you have to kind of play with it and see what works for you. But it's, even though I feel this way, even though I'm so scared of feeling lonely, this is the truth of how I feel. Right. Right. Even though I'm so scared of feeling lonely, this is the truth of how I feel. And you say that three times, and then you just go through the points this loneliness or this fear, right? And you just tap on the points as you remind yourself of the it. Mm -hmm. And what you will find is that after a few rounds of that, sometimes it can get a little intense, a little worse before it gets better. But persistence is really key with tapping. And if you do it long enough, for me, I always feel like I lost 20 pounds of emotional baggage. Like wow. I will go from, you know, eight, nine, 10 intensity to zero, one, two. The tears almost always come, which for me, you know, very cathartic, right. right? But it's, it's, it's a way to process intense emotion 
Um, also in my coaching program and, and depending on who you're working with, it can be a way to, to shift beliefs that are stuck, right. To kind of help you change beliefs. But for, for me, like with the, we all have triggers, I think. So, you know, like I'm imagining your listeners, their songs that they listen to, their, you know, restaurants that they went to, their things that they saw, you know, maybe they, they saw their person having an affair with someone like there, there are things that when um, they are reminded, maybe they're watching TV and all of a sudden a scene, you know, takes them right back to a painful part of the breakup or a painful part of their relationship. And it's a trigger, right? Our, our, our body is remembering something that happened before and associating it with what's happening now. And we don't feel safe or we, we feel intense about that. Mm-hmm. And so tapping can be a great way to go back and reprocess those memories so that they don't, we don't have the trigger when we see the same thing or hear the same song anymore. Oh my God. That sounds like magic. We're going to have to try yeah. that. That's yeah. incredible. So how, how many years has it been for you? Six, a little over six. Six years. And you said that grief is not something that ends. So this is yeah. something. So would you say you were like full-time grieving for how long? Well, I didn't go back to work for about six weeks. So I I let myself take that downtime. And then I got to six weeks and I was kind of ready to go back. He and I worked together as well. So we worked in the same building, the same company, the same people. And it actually felt pretty good to me to kind mm-hmm. of go back. It was a little challenging because I had so many memories there, but also it felt comforting because they were my family and they were his family and they felt the loss too. Right. Um, you know, but, but I just think it's really hard to say when you're grieving and when you're not, I mean, it was intense waves that felt like they were pounding me (laughs) for those, you know, first couple of months and then the intensity lessened, but, but it was still grief. Right. Right. And I, I think too, it would be helpful. I didn't really say this. The way that I define grief is not just a feeling, right? It is the natural human's response to a perceived loss. And so the loss happened. We will always have a response to it, which means it doesn't end. Right. But what we can do over time is change the way we think about it so that we have a different experience of it. So we integrate what has happened into our life experience, but it's not like we get to the end. Very nice. And do you find, so I get this question a lot, um, aligning yourself with other women who had been through what you had been through, was it more uplifting or was it more heavy than it, than it needed to be? Because I'm very mindful of this in my own community. Like I want you guys to join forces to lift each other up not Mm -hmm. sit in the misery, right? Because misery Mm -hmm. loves company. So how did you find that balance? Yeah, it took a while because everything that I found when, you know, immediately I went to Facebook, right? And looked for groups. And most of what I found there was very depressing. And it was very, you know, my person's been gone for 20 years and I still cry every day. And I was just like, oh dear, like this cannot be, this will not be, I will not be this. And so I actually had to take a break. It was helpful in the beginning to be able to just type the words, my husband died and here's what happened. Cause I literally couldn't come to grips with it right in the beginning. But yeah. after, after a point it was like, nope. And so I really kind of backed out of a, a grief community because I couldn't find one that was, that was honest, but forward focused. And that's honestly why I created the community that I created for widows, because it's hard to find. And I think that's what we need. We don't want a silver lining, you know, everything. We don't want to be like, oh, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. We want to be honest and also forward focused. 
Yeah, there's a fine line between that toxic yeah. positivity and being empowering. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Exactly. So where are you at now? Have you chosen to I'm, move on or you're just like happy yeah, in your stillness? I like to think about it as moving forward instead of on, right? Like I'm just moving forward. I choose to believe that Hugo is still with me. I still talk about him regularly. I have pictures of him. He is an active part of my life and my kid's life. And also I am repartnered and, you know, living with someone and have been for the last couple of years. I waited personally to date, wasn't really very interested in it not right, wrong, not good, bad. Just for me, it felt like a whole lot of work. And I was just really more interested in, you know, going inside and, and really loving my life without another person in it and loving myself without trying to get any validation from the outside. And that took some work. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I was like, okay, I think I'll date again. I think I'm ready. Let's go. And I did. And right before COVID, I put myself on Bumble and it just so happens that like first person I met, it was a fit. And then we wow. kind of went into a little COVID bubble together and like never came out. So he has two kids. I have my two kids. And that's amazing. Yeah. I love to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you help women all over the world manage their grief, widows in particular. Yes. Widow what is moms working with, in particular. What does it look like to work with you? Do you work yeah, in groups? So my container is a six month group. Mm -hmm. And it it's a, co a cohort model. So at the beginning of every month, I start a new small group. Okay. And then at the end of that month, a group is finishing. And I okay. like that balance because I've always got new people coming in and then ones that have kind of got their Bambi legs. And essentially what we're you know working on is figuring out where they are stuck because it's different for every person. They, they all come to me in different places, different stages, different whatevers, right? But figuring out what where they are stuck and then helping them recreate what is needed for them to love life again. So looking at all of the aspects of the way that they're thinking about themselves and what's possible for them for their lives, like what they're thinking about their past relationship and, and the death of their spouse, um, you know, really changing their relationship with their thoughts and starting to see them as optional, starting to see them as tools, and then also changing their relationship with their emotions, right? Learning and through practice that they actually right. can handle all the emotions that the emotions can't hurt them, which then sets them up so well for doing the new things that they want to do, which require them to feel, you know, all the feelings. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So here's a question I have for you. And I think that it's amazing that you've created this space and, and where women can connect and also learn from you. What comes up, I think, in at least in the divorce world, and maybe you experience this yourself too, is like you're sad, you're grieving, it feels horrible. And then all of a sudden you feel a little bit better and then you feel guilty for not grieving. Can you speak yes. to that a little? Yeah, it's so true, right? It's like our brain won't let us win. I see it all the time. So it's, but it's really just a matter of understanding what's happening there, right? So you feel happy. And then you feel guilty for feeling happy. And what's happening in the middle when we slow it down is just a sentence in your brain, right? Just your brain makes the presence of happiness mean something. You didn't love them enough. Other people are going to think you've moved on. There's something wrong with you. You're shallow. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, right. And so we have, but we have to see that judgment as optional. We have to see it as an object. Okay. So, that, so that's one of the tools that I'm constantly teaching is cognitive diffusion, right? Pulling away. There's Michelle and there's the thoughts in Michelle's brain and they are different. And they're, they're very, they're wild. They're very different, there, right? Krista. And so thoughts appear and that's what cause our emotional experience. But just because thoughts appear doesn't mean we have to listen 
to those. Right. Not those everything thoughts. we think is true. Thank you. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. that I know for so many, it's the external pressure, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak for myself. I had no desire to be with anybody else ever again after my split. Yet I always kind of knew I probably would find my person. And then when mm-hmm. I did, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that hits a lot of women harder, I think, than men because of our natural people pleasing, you know, abilities and yeah. and all that type of stuff. But I often hear about I feel guilty for not being sad anymore. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think if we if we take that the next step and we realize that the thing the only thing we're ever really afraid of is how we're going to feel. Yeah. And the reason we're going to feel the way that we feel is because of what we choose to think, right? Yes. What we choose to believe. And so if other people are like, well, you know, they have judgments about you. They will. People judge. That's the way of it, right? It's when we're mean to ourselves. It's when we agree with their judgments that we that we create misery for ourselves, right? But being, we can be our own champion with our brain. We can be our own champion by choosing to be kind and compassionate with our thoughts. We don't have to believe the mean thoughts in our brain just because they show up. That's and that right. to me is freedom because then people can, they will have opinions. Your kids are going to have opinions. Yep. Everybody's going to have opinions. People you yep. care about. Yeah. Can you can you be your own champion with your brain? Right. And if you're not your own champion, nobody else is going to be your champion, right? That's it. Oh, my goodness. This was so insightful. I'm so grateful we had this conversation. And I know our listeners are, too. Where can everybody learn more about you if they want to work with you or just get to know your general fabulousness? Yeah, if they're podcast listeners, which clearly they are, <laughs> they can listen to the Widowed Mom podcast. It's it's obviously a little niched, but you know we cover a lot of grief and growth and post traumatic growth, and it's, I think it's valuable for everyone. So they can I definitely listen to that. Yeah, and then um, they can find me on the interwebs at coachingwithkrista.com. I've got a free grief course that might be helpful to people. Just kind of oh, like a grief one hundred and one. That yeah, yeah, that's on the homepage, and you know all the social contacts and everything are there too. Fabulous. For everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. If you are having a hard time managing your grief or processing your grief, reach out to somebody who can help you through it. If it all seems too heavy to handle, please call a professional. That will always be the right step for you. Until next time, everyone. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my Moving On Method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Maltak, Certified Divorce and Co-Parenting Specialist, and I founded the Moving On Method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. 
I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.